Um, here's, here's where I want to start. Uh, we've spent the last, gosh, what, three hours, four hours together? Um, who here is having fun so far? Um, man, I've had a lot of fun, not only myself, but then just watching you and watching the joy and like your interactions. Um, do you guys remember one of the invitations I gave you at the very, very beginning uh, that when you play, when you have fun, what did, I, what did I ask you to do or what did I invite you to do? Yeah, Tyler. Yeah, just thank God for it. Like, don't have to make it super spiritual, super religious, just God, thank you. This is good. So um, I hope you can do that. Uh, now, what we're doing now is... Um, Right, our band is, is leading us in some song. That's opportunity for us to engage in, in worship and just give God praise for, right? We've had a great time together. So God, thank you. It's your breath in my lungs. It's your breath that's allowed me to run and have fun. Thank you. Like, I will praise you. Uh, and now what we're doing is actually shifting um, into another form of worship, which is, is teaching and learning and thinking. So your role, right, my invitation to you is to think as a form of worship. Some of what my job to do right now is to instruct and teach and to encourage you guys. Um, and so your opportunity, it's not your job, but it's your opportunity is to go, God, I want to continue my worship of you, not just in play when it's easy, but also to worship you in the way I think and the way I live. So our, our theme for tonight, for this 24 hours, our theme is very simple and hopefully very freeing and hopefully a little bit challenging. Uh, it is this, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I'll explain what that means in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you about a date night that I had last night. Uh, Whitney and I, uh, my sister came over. She watched Obi. A lot of you guys know little Obi. Uh, and so um, <laughs> Tyler loves Obi. Uh, so my sister came over, watched him. Uh, Whitney and I drove downtown, and we were going to go to our very favorite dinner place, Fire Pizza. Have you guys been there? Wait, what? Crafted bought fire? No! Oh, that makes me so sad. So we went there, we went there and we were so excited. It's our favorite pizza place. And it was closed for remodel. I thought it was just being remodeled. They're being purchased. What a bummer. So anyways, we used to love fire. Super great pizza. We were going to go there on a date night, but it was closed, right? So we couldn't. And so we're like, okay, where else do we go? So we drove a couple laps and we ended up deciding on a place called Sweet Lou's. Has anyone ever been there? So Sweet Lou's, they... Like, they're all right, right? They, they're, they make some good lunch sandwiches. Um, here was a challenge, though, is <clears throat> we came in, and you guys know Whitney and I, we like each other, and so instead of standing or sitting opposite, we decided to sit next to each other in the booth so we could kind of like, you know, cuddle and be married people. Uh, and so we're sitting next to each other, and we're looking at the menu, and, and we're trying to like pick what we want, and we're trying to talk, and without exaggeration, there is a 60-inch TV right there, Another 60-inch TV right there. There's about two feet between them. There's another 60-inch TV right here. And then there's a bank of four 60-inch TVs over the bar. All within, if I'm just sitting right here, I can see one, two, three, four, five, six televisions. All playing different things. In addition to that, I could hear the radio going on in the PA system. So there's the radio. In addition to that, I could hear this guy over here talking to his mother-in-law about he's such a great real estate investor and he's going to buy and flip all these houses. And so I, like, I'm, I'm sitting next to my wife trying to be present on date night, trying to listen to her, care for her, receive her care as she's listening to me. And the whole time, like, I literally am like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I love you too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, what did you say? Sorry. And I'm, like, I literally, I was smiling and nodding like the whole time. And, I, and so we, we had our backs to a wall. And so finally I was like, Whitney, can we sit on the opposite side of the table? And so we, we got up from, from the booth and we moved to the opposite side of the table. And now we're staring at this wall, right? 
And I'm staring at this wall, still trying to talk to Whitney, my wife. But now I'm seeing down another corridor, and there's like five more TVs. And the the guy who's now over here is still like blathering about this thing, right? Um, And so as I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to listen to Whitney, and I'm watching this wall. And this wall is literally like flickering and flashing as it reflects the light from all the TVs that are now behind me, reflecting light, like flashing. And I realized, like in that moment, the reason I was distracted with all those TVs right here is they're literally like pumping, pumping flashing lights at me. And I, as just a human being, like I cannot stop my brain from being distracted by that. Like I, it took more energy to, to try to not be distracted like than it did to like actually try to love my wife. Like I, it was so hard in that moment. And as I was staring at that wall, watching, watching all these flashing lights, I realized it's because they're literally flashing. Like, give me your attention. Give me your attention. Pay attention to me. Here's why I bring all that up. We live in an entertainment society, right? Um, how many of you guys, uh, when you are maybe going to a friend's house or going to youth ministry, or, or you're just like kind of bored for a second, what's your first go-to? So I watch this all the time. Like, actually, at, so we have youth ministry at my house a lot. And some of you guys come over, and I watch you come in the door, and you take your shoes off, and you're like, hey, guys, and you pet the dog, and then you stand there, and you're like, I don't know who to talk to. <laughs> and it's like, I'm just going to retreat. I'm going to go be safe. And it, it, there's this, like, I don't know how to not be entertained. I don't know how to not be comfortable or uncomfortable. Um, and I, I feel this in my own heart. Like, I do this. I, I'm, I'm waiting in line at the coffee shop, or I'm waiting in line while I'm pumping gas, Right? And like, well, I'm pumping gas. Like, oh, well, there's a TV on the gas station. Let me check my phone while I'm at it. We live in an entertainment society where I would imagine it's possible for you to spend your entire day and have less, I would argue, less than 60 seconds of uninterrupted silence. Would you agree with that? You could probably, unless you're trying hard, go a whole day without spending more than 60 seconds in silence being bored. We live in an entertainment society. We also live in an instant society, right? Uh, with the advent of Amazon Prime, I want something, grab my phone, boop, 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 on my way, it shows up the next day, right? We live in a streaming society that's instant. I want to watch a movie, I don't have to drive, I don't have to order, I just stream, right? We live in an entertainment society as well as an instant society. Enterti- entertainment society means if I'm bored, something's wrong. Instant society means that anything I want, I can get quickly. Everything should be able to be done quickly and efficiently, right? You guys all know the examples we've already talked about, right? Netflix, McDonald's, 5G, microwaves, Amazon Prime, Walmart, right? Open 24-7 hours a day. Basically, in an instant society, you can summarize it like this. I want it fast, I want it cheap, and I want it all. Now, here's the, the scary thing. This is normal for us. We don't even know a world that's not like this. So we often don't even recognize this is normal or this is like how the world is because it doesn't even stand out to us. Now, for me personally, uh, I'm really easily addicted to to technology. And so Whitney and I ended up, uh, we realized a couple years ago, the the main ways we were using the internet in our house was to buy things and to binge things. That was the main uses of Wi-Fi, buying things and binging things. So we ended up turning the Wi-Fi off. Now, that was fine because I still have a smartphone, right? I'm connected to the internet. But I have um, like one of those really crappy knockoff like services. And so I almost can't use the internet on my phone. It's so frustrating. And I have like a really limited data plan. Here's why I bring that, that all up is 
if I'm at home and I want to buy something or look something up on my phone, and I open my phone and it takes more than like half of a millisecond, I get frustrated and I just give up. Like that's how much of a product of an instant society I am that like I'm not even willing to wait for the page to load. It's like, ugh, I'll do this later. <laughs> like I personally am with you a product of an instant society. Um, really interestingly, there was a study done that measured the attention span of humans. And some people disagree with this, but it's kind of funny and somewhat accurate. Uh, 20 years ago, in the year 2000, human beings were measured as having an attention span uh, a, a kind of a resting attention span of about 12 seconds. 12 seconds. That means without anything flashing at you or moving or like causing you to be interested, you could just pay attention to something naturally for 12 seconds before you'd go, yeah, and then move on. Yeah, Tyler. No, that's not bad. So, um, so here's, here's my point. This was 23 years ago. Human beings were measured as having about a 12 second resting attention span. Uh, a couple years ago, around the year 2019, 2020, human beings were measured again, and guess what their attention span was? Humans, like, average attention span was now eight seconds. Now, you might be thinking, oh, I mean, eight seconds, 12 seconds, not that big of a deal. Here's the surprising thing. Goldfish have a nine-second attention span. <laughs> Goldfish have a nine-second attention span. I don't know how scientists measure it, but apparently someone put a lot of time and money into measuring how, how long fish can think. Now, here's my point. You could argue with that. Um, clearly, there's like some myth there. But here's my point. In a world that we live in that is an entertainment society and an instant society, it is, that's all normal. It's really easy to get interested in the way of Jesus and then very quickly get distracted away from it. It's easy to get interested, but it's hard to sustain that interest in an instant society. So what happens is if we're following Jesus and we're living in a eight-second attention span society and we think that's just normal, what happens is we begin chasing spiritual experiences. And we start to think that spiritual experiences are the same thing as faith. So we start chasing. Maybe you guys know this, right? Like, oh, I need to go to one more retreat. I need to go to one more conference. I need to go to one more worship gathering. I need to go read one more book. I need to listen to one more sermon, all because when I do that, I get a little bit of a spiritual high. And so we end up chasing these little spiritual highs, and everything between we feel like is dead. Now, um, what that means is we have less, or the result of that is we as just Christians have less patience, or we're always looking for the next book or the right thing that will do it for me, that will give me the result that I need. And we've developed where we're no longer willing to be patient and quietly acquire virtue over long, enduring, slow apprenticeship to Jesus. We start to approach our spirituality and God's transformation of us with a hurry. We start saying, Jesus, what do I need to do next to get the next result, the next bit of holiness, the next bit of spiritual experience? Do you guys identify with that at all? Now, a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche has this, this famous quote. Now, he definitely was wrong in a lot of ways, but he said this one thing, which actually had a lot of wisdom to it. He says this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction, and there, thereby results, meaning the result of that is always, in the long run, something that makes life worth living. 
Now notice that. The important thing, if I'm going to say it my own words, the important thing in heaven and earth is that there's a long obedience in the same direction because that always results in the long run with something that makes a life worth living. A life worth living is a life with a long obedience in the same direction. So if we were going to apply that to a Christian life, what that means is I'm no longer thinking of my spiritual experiences as one more week ahead, or I'm no longer thinking about one more experience or one more service, one more sermon ahead. Right now I'm beginning to measure my faith with Jesus by the totality of my lifetime. And in the totality of my lifetime, I'm going to intend obedience to him. So maybe you guys, right, can consider like how long you tend to think forward in life. I'm not trying to like catch you in a trap. Maybe some of us are like little goldfish people, right? I don't even know what I'm doing at the end of today. I'm just here, right? Some of us are like, okay, I've planned out until the next class period. Or some of us, oh, I'm, I'm considering what I'm going to do next week. Or I'm considering what I'm going to do in five years. And in that context, each of us is going to have a different definition for endurance. Right? When I'm thinking about a five or a ten year event and I'm enduring over five or ten years, that is sustained, thoughtful living. But when, like, endurance for me just means like getting past this one moment and then I forget or then I move on, that is actually a short, narrow version of endurance, right? So here's my invitation to you, or Jesus' invitation to you. Jesus is inviting us to no longer be tourists of spiritual experiences, where we just pop in, get a little refresh, and then move on. He's inviting us to no longer be tourists, but to be disciples and pilgrims. Those two words are super important, and I'll explain them. So rather than being tourists, someone that pops in for a little experience, or being a consumer, someone that just gets a little spiritual high, we are choosing to be, or we're being invited by Jesus to be disciples and pilgrims. So the word disciple, you guys probably hear a lot, especially if you hang around in churches. A disciple is actually not a religious term, though Jesus chose to use it. A disciple is someone that is apprenticed to a master. If you think about like a job like a blacksmith, right? I am discipled, I'm apprenticing to someone who has great skill, someone who has endured for years and years and years to become an expert, a master of something. And I'm going to choose to come underneath them and follow them so I too can develop skills. I too can begin to live like they live. So what that means is a disciple is learning a craft. A disciple is learning a skill. If we apply that to Christianity, it means that our primary job is not to gather more information about God, Our primary effort is to learn skills from God on how to be faithful and how to live his lifestyle. Jesus himself, um, in in Matthew uh, chapter 11, you guys might be familiar with this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And then he says this weird thing. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you guys are familiar with yokes, Yokes are like the big wooden objects that oxes use to pull loads, to pull carts. Jesus is saying, here's this like wooden tool that's used for carrying heavy loads. My yoke is a good way of carrying heavy loads. Now, you guys know life is hard. Life has challenges. Life is full of heavy loads. And Jesus is saying, the way I carry heavy loads is easy and gentle It is a light burden when you carry it my way. Would you let me teach you? Would you let me teach you my skills of faithfulness? So that's what a disciple is. We're learning skills of faithfulness. 
from Jesus. We're apprenticing to him. The second word I'm choosing to use is disciple and pilgrim, right? Think about pilgrims. Pilgrims are people that are on a journey. So if we think about us being pilgrims in the faith, we are living our lives going someplace. And our end destination, we know, is life to the full with God. It is a new heaven and a new earth. And the New Testament tells us that the path or the way to God is Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the path that we are choosing to walk on. So for Christians, the world is not our home. And so therefore, we're taking a different path than the world, right? The world has a a path that you live on. This is what a good life looks like. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to do with your money. And Jesus is saying, I have a different path with a different destination. And so we are choosing to live as pilgrims on this very different path. And now as we follow God, we start walking and we keep walking in the same direction. But the challenge is, if, if the path of the world is leading in this direction and God has invited us onto a new path, there's a, a amount of distance between where I've started and where I'm going, right? And so I now have this whole middle ground between where I've started and where I'm going where I have the opportunity to get distracted and I have the opportunity to feel defeated and I have the opportunity to give up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm eyes on God and I'm walking in this direction. And my big challenge is, like, I'm going to see... Like, the, the, good, the, the interesting stuff on this path over here, and I'm going to have my attention drawn, and it's going to try to draw me off, off the path that Jesus has laid before me back onto the way the world offers. And the world will actually challenge you. They will say to you, like, why use your whole life in that process? Like, isn't there an easier way to virtue and to goodness and to pleasure? Isn't there a way to get more pleasure more easily? The world will tell us there's plenty to enjoy without wasting our time or our energy on that journey. The journey of Jesus that includes dying to ourselves, that includes loving our enemies, that includes confessing our sin and forgiving those that hurt us. That is a hard path to an outsider. An outsider looks at that and says, why even bother? And we know that we're looking at a good destination. Uh, One of the things that's interesting is one of the reasons that we get off the path of Jesus or we get distracted away from it is because it is hard, right? And we expect the path of Jesus to be easy. And a, a Christian philosopher named Thomas Sotz, uh, he actually has this really um, wise thing. He says this. He says, this is the simplest and most, most ancient of human truths, namely this. Life is arduous and tragic struggle. He just says a simple human truth is that life is hard. And then he continues, he says, what we call sanity or single-mindedness has a great deal to do with competence, which is earned by struggling for excellence. Sanity or single-mindedness has a great deal to do with compassion, which is hard won by confronting conflict. And it has a great deal to do with modesty and patience, which is acquired through silence and suffering. So here's my point in bringing that up. In an instant society, we all probably desire competence in skill and excellence. We all probably desire compassion. We all desire modesty and patience. But we expect those things to come quickly and easily. We want the destination without the journey. For a world that does not acknowledge Jesus as king, they want his kingdom and his values and his, the results of his goodness, but they don't want him as their king. They want the kingdom of God without the king. And this is what New Testament Scripture says. This is where Hebrews comes in for all you guys who got your Bibles. Uh, this is what the New Testament Scripture says about the beginning 
and the sustaining of the journey of faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read uh, six verses in chapter 10, 19 through 25. This will be on the screen too, because I'm using a slightly different translation than you might be. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Here, the writer of Hebrews talks about the beginning of the journey. Here's how the journey starts. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, we Christians can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because the blood of Jesus. It's by his death that Jesus opened a new way in a a life-giving way through the curtain or through the separation into the most holy place. And because we have a great high priest, Jesus, that rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts that fully trust him. Because our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, because God can be trusted to keep his promise. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encouraging one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's what it's simply saying about the beginning of the journey. The journey begins when Jesus washes you. That is the beginning of the journey of faith, is that Jesus gives himself to take the consequence for our sin, and he, he gives himself to give us a new way of living, to give us new life through him. That is the beginning of the journey. And then Hebrews continues in a chapter and a half later, in chapters 12, and it says this. Now he's talking about the sustaining of the journey. Hebrews says this, Therefore, because we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And the way that we do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion that initiates and perfects our faith. And it's because of the joy that awaited him that he endured the cross and disregarded its shame. So now Jesus is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. So do this. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and you won't give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And then a few verses later says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Here's what Hebrews is saying. The journey with Jesus in the journey of God's kingdom begins at repentance. And then we continue to walk that journey with repentance. And I'll explain that. So uh, here's here's why repentance matters, right? In an instant society, uh, especially like in our society, you guys have all probably heard that uh, human beings are basically nice and good, right? Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and self-sufficient. The world is a good place, a pleasant place, mostly harmless, and we are free. And if we are experiencing chains or hardship, it's because it's someone else's fault. And if we as humankind just had a little bit more intelligence, a little bit more innovation, a little bit more effort, a little, a little bit better policies, a little bit better spending, or a little bit more time, we could just correct all of our problems. That's familiar, right? And we desperately want it to be true because so much of it is in alignment with God's truth. Human beings are made in God's image. Every single human being should be free and equal and capable Every human being should be free of hardship and sin. The world should be a place that is pleasant and peaceful. But here's what's important. In the way of Jesus, the path for getting there is radically different. 
It is not just up to a little bit more time, a little bit more effort. According to Jesus, humanity will never or will not slowly advance and progress our way to heaven on earth. According to Jesus, we need to be rescued from that lie. We need to be rescued from the lie that we can save ourselves. According to Jesus, we are stuck in slavery to sin and the imperfections of ourselves unless he intervenes. Unless we are born again and receive a new heart through Jesus, unless we receive a new way of thinking and living, humanity will not fix itself. And so to join this kingdom that Jesus describes requires repentance. And here's what repentance means, right? Many of us are familiar with repentance. We think of it as like, I just need to like confess my sins and be really, really sorry before God, right? Oftentimes that's how we think of repentance. Now, that's part of the process of repentance, but it's not actually what repentance means. Uh, Really simply, repentance means to turn away from. So repentance means to stop looking at this thing and turn and put my eyes back on this thing. So I'm turning away, I'm choosing what I look at, I'm choosing what I believe in, and I'm choosing to live and think a different way. So what that means is repentance is actually not an emotion. Repentance does not mean just feeling really bad. Repentance means turning from this belief and choosing this belief. And part of that process often is, Lord, I'm guilty, forgive me. But they're actually two separate things. Here's why I bring that up. In order to participate in Jesus' kingdom, we need to repent of the lie that we can save ourselves. Until we say, Jesus, I can't save myself. And we pull our eyes off of that figment of our imagination and plant our eyes on Jesus' truth that the only way I could get through this is if you save me. Would you please? Like that is the very first step of entering Jesus' kingdom and stepping onto a new path that's going to a different place than where the world is going. And so that is the first step, but notice this. That's the first step onto a new path, but it's also the way you stay on the same path. Because once I've put my eyes onto this path and I've, I'm walking a couple feet, but then all of a sudden I, like, I hear that same argument, right? Well, if we only had a little bit more time, if we only did this, if only. Or maybe I'm just distracted by the entertainment. And all of a sudden my mind's like, oh, I'll be happier if. And I'm like going back to that old path. And so what I'm doing again is I'm re-repenting. Again, not just the emotion of it, but I'm like taking my eyes and I'm putting them back on the path and the person of Jesus. And I'm repenting again and I'm continuing. And then I do this. And I repent again. <laughs> And I keep going, right? I'm choosing the way of Jesus. I'm choosing to live like he lived. I'm choosing to believe what he believed. And I'm choosing to follow him as my savior and put my trust in him as my savior. Now, if you do that, really gladly, if you become a Christian, it means you'll never have problems again. Congratulations. If you're a Christian, it means you'll never get angry. It means you'll be, you'll be full of the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll, you'll have incredible wisdom at all points in time. You'll never be confused or, or doubtful. Uh, you'll always just have this overabundance of love, and you'll just feel so easily love your neighbors and your enemies, and you'll pray for people all the time, and you'll love worshiping always, even at youth retreats. Now, either you're right now being like, man, I guess I'm not a Christian. I don't know, maybe. (laughs) Or, like, there's a wisdom in you that's just like, that's just not it. That's not how this journey works, right? Well, yes. So, if we believe that, well, 
I'm a Christian, so I just should be, I should be this, I should be that, I should be that, I should be that. You're wrong. Now, as I say that, sometimes being wrong really sucks. Because it means you got to go back at it, you got to try again, you got to try harder, you got to do more. But sometimes being wrong is so liberating. Because I've been accidentally believing the lie that if I'm a Christian, I should be this, I should be that, I should be that, I should do this, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that. And I'm just saying you're wrong. There's a different way. And I hope the, like, me telling you you're wrong is such good news. Because the fact that you're not doing enough, you need to do better, do harder, try, 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 pursue, pursue, pursue. You're wrong. And I'm asking you to repent, to take your eyes off of the lie that you should, 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 and instead put your eyes on the fact that Jesus himself, going back to Hebrews 10, has died for you, and you now stand boldly in the presence of God without sin or blemish because he loves you. And you don't need to do anything. And there's a journey ahead. A huge part of the scriptures in the Old Testament has to do with the story of Israel. Are you guys familiar with when Israel got rescued out of Egypt with the, the ten plagues and stuff? Yeah, yeah. so the short of it, Israel, the, the nation has been slaves in Egypt for like three, four hundred years, and God is choosing to set them free. So he comes in with some miracles and some, some leaders filled with his spirit, and they, they pull the people of Israel out of Egypt, and guess where they go? Straight back to the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. It's heaven. Everything's fixed, right? No, where do they go? No, they end up wandering in the desert for the rest of their lives. Here's why I bring that up, right? Going back to the lie that I should, I should, I should. When I'm a Christian, like, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. Like, the idea is not, oh, I've given my life to Jesus and now everything's perfect. I'm back in the Garden of Eden. If we look at the, the example of the Israelites, they got rescued out of slavery and then spent the rest of their living days on a journey toward the presence of God. On a journey with God among them, providing for them, giving them manna, giving them uh, healings, doing miraculous things among them. In many ways, this is our pattern. is saying, God, thank you for saving me. I'm willing to walk the journey of the desert of the rest of my life with you. Because I'd rather be with you than be in slavery back in Egypt. I'd rather be with God in the desert than be in slavery in Egypt. Now, for Christians, and I'm coming towards a close, but hang with me for a second. Um, as Christians, there's a great danger that we end up living two different religions. We end up living or believing two different religions. The first one is our Sunday religion. This is the, the glorious and wonderful gospel of grace that we hear from the pulpit and we believe and we get so excited about that Jesus has died for me and given me like a, a sonship and a daughtership and I'm loved and his grace is amazing and overwhelms all my fears and my doubts and that is beautiful, right? And it motivates us and then we also end up believing and living another religion we might be able to call our everyday religion and this is the religion we slip back into that we live the rest of the days of the week where we're trying our hardest to impress God with our holiness or we're trying to avoid him because we're so full of shame, because we haven't lived up to our promises. And so for the rest of the week, our rightness with God is based on my emotional sense of my spiritual temperature 
in my emotional sense of my connection with God and my emotional sense of my performance. I live part of my faith exalting in his grace, but then the rest of my everyday life, I'm just trying and running the treadmill of trying to be good enough for Jesus. And our path in that moment on the rest of our journey is to repent, right? Not just to feel more guilty, but to choose, to turn, right? To turn from the lie that says, I just need to do more for Jesus to be more safe. Like, I actually need to turn from that and put my eyes back on the fact that he's given himself for me. I'm turning back to God regularly. When my doubts come, when my fears come, when my self-expectations come, I turn back to him. And this is what carries me in lifelong obedience. I want to read for you one more time Hebrews 10. This is what we started with in Hebrews. This is what we go back to over and over and over. When we get distracted or upset, we repent back to this. So, dear brothers and sisters, I want to read this a little differently. Uh, If you are a Christian or you're, you're interested in following Jesus, I want to read this, and instead of saying we, I just want to say you. Dear brother and sister, you can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way for you through the curtain into the most holy place. And because you have a great high priest that rules over God's house, please go right into the presence of God with a sincere heart that fully trusts him. Your guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make you clean. Your body has been washed with pure water. So hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. God can be trusted to keep his promise to you. So, don't think, so let us now, or would you think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works? Don't neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of return is drawing near. Here's my invitation in all of this as we talk about a long obedience in the same direction. My invitation is, number one, that you would choose to see your life and your faith as a lifelong discipleship. Point at this with your life until the day you die. Hopefully, as an old man or woman, you will be faithful until that day. Choose to view this as discipleship, where you are learning skills of faithfulness. Choose to view this as a lifelong pilgrimage, meaning a journey. If you do, this will create great freedom and great patience for yourself, and patience for God's work in you, for the slow development of virtue. Number two, Choose to pursue opportunities when it's right for developing your skills of faithfulness and to continue walking in that path. Number three, choose to use Scripture and the Psalms as a source of spiritual nourishment on your journey. When I say that, uh, when I'm talking about using the Scriptures and especially the Psalms as food for your journey, if you're taking a long journey, a long road trip, a long hike, you've got to stop for food, right? You can't keep going. Like, you need sustenance. You need nourishment. And so this, like Scripture, time with God, time in the Psalms, these are like meals for the soul. These are the things that revive us, that give us energy, just like food. These are the things that bring our real-life stuff to the real-life Jesus. These are the things that feed us in faithfulness. Because otherwise, we're just charting our own path, right? 
I need to choose the truth of God, so therefore I need to know God's truth. So for me to repent of myself and turn to Jesus, I need to feed myself on his word over the course of my lifetime for the result of lifelong faithfulness. So we're actually going to practice that last part tomorrow. We're going to practice nourishing ourselves, eating a good meal for our souls tomorrow during our devotionals. Um, your leaders, one guy leader, one girl leader, are actually going to take you to the Psalms and to help you develop the skill of remembering God's goodness, right? Discipleship. You're developing skills. You're developing the skill of feeding yourself with God's word. You're developing the skill of receiving love from him, receiving life from him, so that you are sustained for a long obedience in the same direction. The way I've chosen to end tonight is to take communion. Uh, I know for many of us, um, we take communion at church pretty often, but maybe you notice this, your parents aren't here, except for maybe you. Your parents aren't here. What that means is you have this opportunity, zero obligation, you have this opportunity to take communion purely for yourself. Purely just decide, do I believe this? Do I want to repent, to turn from the way of the world's thinking and to accept and step onto the path of Jesus' way of life? And to repent and let myself believe that he is God and he has loved me and washed me with his blood. This is what communion is remembering. Hebrews 10. I'm going to read this one more time. Communion is remembering that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because by his death, his body that was broken, Jesus has opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain that separates us from God into the most holy place. And because he is now the high priest that rules over God's house, we can go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts that fully trust him. Because our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with his blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is what communion literally is. Is it's the, the acceptance, it's the repentance that says, Jesus, I'm not going to walk my own path. I'm going to turn towards you. I'm going to choose your path and I'm going to believe that you've already saved me. I can walk into the presence of God without having to earn it or do anything more because you've already done it for me. Now, I'll just say this. If you're not sure where you're at, I would encourage you just to not take communion. Because if, you're, if it doesn't mean this, then it doesn't mean anything. And I would hate for you to do something that doesn't mean anything just because some people at a youth camp are doing it, right? Um, and so, as I say that, zero guilt, zero pressure. But if you are interested in walking the path of Jesus over the course of your lifetime, and that is good news for you, communion is just pure celebration. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With that band, would you guys come up and just play one song?